Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Well, this morning, the assignment that I was given is to do chapter 13 to chapter 22 of the books of Acts. So, I hope you pack your lunch. <laughs> Ain't gonna be a long day from chapter 13 to 22. Now, when you're given about nearly nine chapters, and then you have to pray what God is want to say or what God wants me to say, it's really hard. I don't know if you given an assignment with, there's, there's so many avenues that you can go, the options that you can do. And uh, so I want to focus on Acts chapter 17. And I believe Acts chapter 17 just summarized the whole of Acts chapter 13 to 22 this morning. And the topic this morning, it is normal to be sent into the world, but not of this world. John 17, 14, 18, Jesus said this, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is true. Just as you send me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Now, This whole week during vacation, I was spending a lot of time evaluating myself, ministry and everything. You know, there's a lot of time thinking about, okay, God, what is is the next thing? What's the next thing? How can I be better? And what am I doing? What is calling the purpose? Everything. And what is the mission, the mandate and the model and and the, 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 the vision of that you have in my life? And I encourage you. One thing I learned, I encourage you, regardless how old or how young you are, you need to spend time, time after time, to evaluate where you are going and what you are doing. Because it will energize you. It will put you back, if you misalign with your purpose, put you back at where you should be. Sometimes you consume so much your busyness of life and family, you miss the very thing that God wants you to have and to do. And it's good to evaluate it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you on your feet. It keeps you to the cutting edge. And I always, I told God, I said, God, regardless how old I, want, uh, I am, I want to be in the cutting edge. I, I want to be the one that takes the risk. I want to be the one that stands where you want me to be. Because it's easy when you let the things and the business of life consume you. And you need to fix your eyes here. So when I read this scripture, when we talk about today about normal to be sent to the world, but not of this world. And I guess because it's so pertinent to me and so important to me because, because I at one point consumed so much with the things of the world. You know, when, when I was young, when I was young, you know, every young boy and every young kid, every young child have a dream. They want to be some, someone or something. And I, I grew up, I want to become a fighter pilot. That's what I dream. I, I know some of you want to be something else. I want to become a fighter pilot. That's my dreams. Because when I grew up, I grew up in a base, a military base. My father's military, I grew up in a military base. So every once in a while, there's a B-52 will land at my base. Huge B-52. I'm just amazed when you're a young boy, you stand, because my house is not too far from the, from the landing strip. So every day I look like, this is awesome, man. Huge, mongous thing just landed kind of thing. And I said, man, I want to be a fighter pilot. That is so cool, so awesome. You know, fly F-14, F-18 kind of thing. That's my dreams. Then I found out they have to wear glasses. Just destroy my dreams. Shattered my dreams. Said, oh, man. <laughs> Why, God, you gave me dreams? But I have dreams to be fighter pilots. And so what I do is that, and I still consume, and I grew up kind of thing, and because of my culture, my family, it grained in us that you need to be successful in life. So we pick majors that make us successful. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, they have a lot of money. 
Because that is where it gear you toward like success and money. So it grained in us in during young age and middle school and high school that you need to do well in school. You need to be the best of the best. You need to score 100 all the time. That's great in me. So in, in that age, at the time, I said, man, I want to be successful. So I want to have, I always dreamed this. When I was in college, before I was saved, I was in college. I said, when I get out of college, have a degree, I want my office overlook the river. Windows at three corners. Full glass up in the penthouse. I want my house that I built have indoor, outside, inside pool. I mean, you, you, that's how you dream, right? And so that's what I am. So when I came in my life where I, there's a decision making, whether to believe in Jesus or not, and when I gave my whole life to Jesus Christ, it changed my destiny. It changed my purpose. It changed my calling. It changed my desire so much. Then no longer I pursue the things of this world and began to pursue the things of God. And what really make the lineage, the drawing of the sand, is where my father stood before me at one night with my wife Arlene and said, choose between us as a family or your God. If you choose your God, then you're no longer part of this family. And when that night, when I made that decision, I said, God, I told my dad and mom, I said, I love you, but I have to follow Jesus. Pack my bag the next day, pack our bag, and move from the, out of the house. That become, that become solidified. Do I really believe in God? Do I love Him? That has become when the day I said no more to the world and yes to God 100%. You know, I believe in each one of your life, there will be a day that you will be in a crossroad. That crossroad will determine your destiny. And I believe 100%, if I see any compromised Christian, it's because they try to serve the world and serve God at the same time. And what's going to happen? That the world, people will see you and say, is this this kind of Christian that I want to be? And then the Christian will see you and say, it is what as a Christian is? There will come a time that you need to choose. Are you going to give all out for God or are you going to follow the things of this world? Now, we just read the scripture. Jesus prayed that I will send my children, my disciples into the world, but they are not of the world. It's interesting. My wife brought a book and I read it this past, I read it during the the vacation, one whole day. I, I read the whole thing until 4 o'clock in the morning. It's a thick book. It's not a Christian book. It's a secular book. But it's interesting of perspective. It's called Hillbilly Ages. Why did you read that book? Now, I won't, I won't rec... Oh, better cut the thing off. I won't recommend that book because to children because it's, all, because it's so secular. They have some foul language in it because it's a cultural book. I, I you know, how many of you live in Kentucky? How many of you are from Kentucky? You're from Kentucky, Joanne? A little bit? You know Kentucky? Appalachian? Nobody from, Really? Oh, you need to go. You need to go and stay in Kentucky and then come back again. <laughs> it's amazing culture. It's amazing, and the reason again, the author is he's about early thirties. He graduate. He is from the hillbillies. His family is, but he is a lawyer. Now, 
It's amazing because it's talk about the culture, American culture, the mindset. The mindset. I mean, it just opened up the whole thing, understanding myself. I love to understand mindset. I love to understand culture. I love to understand worldview, how people think. Because it, environment, culture affects your perspective. Whether you, you like it or not, it affects your perspective. So when you're in certain culture, certain environment, it affects, I say this, let me give it to you. Culture, environment does not cause you to be someone or somebody. Let me say this. Regardless what environment you're in, whatever culture you're in, it does not cause you to respond or to react. What happened, culture, environment influence you. It doesn't cost you. It's influence you. It's, 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 you got to know this. Because someone say, oh, I, I was in ghetto and I live in ghetto. This is who I am. This is my family. I have no choice. This is what I'm going to leave. My grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Because they think the culture, the environment causes them to respond, to react. No, it influenced them. In other words, I can get out from the culture and that environment. So when you are in the culture, the environment, when you receive Jesus Christ, you build a new environment, a new culture who supersedes that culture. So when I look to the lens of God, I see whether my culture lines up with God. If not, they are not kingdom culture. There is a world culture, world system. Young people, you need to understand this because you're going to go to college, everything, the college will influence you. You go to Euromis, they will influence your mindset. The professor will influence you with certain mindset, certain ideology. And in your mind as a freshman, you think, when this professor has all the knowledge, he has PhD, he should know everything. No, they don't know anything. It's amazing how much in intelligent they have. They still make wrong decision. I know a professor who sleep with another professor. I know a professor on drugs who go to class and teach. They have PhD. You know, it's boggled my mind. This is, I'll tell you, this is from John's perspective. It boggled my mind that we have PhD in economics, right, of this country. And when we don't have money, what they do? They borrow money. Hold on. When you don't have money, you don't borrow. What you do? You cut your spending. You don't have to need PhD to do that. You take your wallet out, open your wallet, no money, not buying any more things. Come on, come on. You understand that? That's what we have become. But we have been in deal, we have been great grafted into that mindset. If it's not kingdom culture, kingdom worldview, that is not God then. When you receive Jesus Christ, you change sight. Okay. We all join, some of you join. Fitness club. I joined fitness club. Platinum fitness because it's cheap. Hey, you go where it's cheap, man. Hey, save money. You go every morning and you go to treadmills. Nobody there. Next guy come in. Joe, the bodybuilder. <laughs> and you like, okay, I can do that. And there, Joe increased fast. Have you seen the guy go faster? And we do fast. That's what we do in life. We look at the Joe beside us and doing, man, I need to copy that. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are in different camp. You no longer compete with the Joe there. You, are, you, you have your lane to run. Don't look at somebody's lane. You have your own lane to run. 
and run that lane, regardless what people say. People, they are lot. There will be a lot naysayer in your life. You know what? The whole day, my, week I meditate on. I say, God, I need to spend time with people that have good outlook, positive people. I don't want to spend time on negative people who suck your energy out. You know, you want to do something? I don't think you can do that. Do you have the kind of... You know, when I was in high school, we have a major, major national examination, like an ACT, SAT, but this is it. If you fail, that's it. You're doomed. There's no college for you for the rest of your life. So we are in national examination. So we prepare that. The examination is on December, and I'm preparing on September. So we're high school right now in senior year, and all the classroom, we just prepare, study. That's what we do. Because we focus on this national examination. My class teacher, you know, every, every classroom has a class teacher, will come in, in the middle of us, studying, standing out on the door, and facing about 40 of us in the classroom and say this. I don't think any one of you will pass I'm 18 years old. Wait, what? What? Did I hear what you just said? Yeah, I don't think any one of you will pass the exam. What kind of statement is that? At least, you can, at least the teachers should encourage the students and say, hey, study hard. He said, I don't think anyone can pass. I was like downfounded. I was like three months before the exam and she has lost hope on us. And I, was, I wasn't safe at the time. And when I received Christ, I said, God, I don't want to be the person who said, eh, I don't think you amount to nothing. God has no hope for you, kind of thing. When I change side, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to run the lane that God prepared for me to run. No matter what naysayer is saying, I'm going to do. Even though if I fall, and I'm going to go back, I'm going to learn everything, and then go after it again. Because I don't want to come to a place in my lifetime when I face to face with Jesus that I have one word in my life called regret. I do not want to have regret. People may laugh at me, people whatever, but I want to pursue what God wants me to pursue. I, I, I believe one thing. If anything that you want to do for God, it's always green light. Let me tell you, anything that you want to do, like if you want to do things for yourself, it might be a lot of red light. But anything you want to do for God is always a green light until God tells you to stop. But you always go. I believe that in my life. I said, God, I'm going to keep going. When I left my country to come here 20-some years ago, I come with four luggage with my wife pregnant with my son. I left everything behind. And I have no idea where I'm going, but I know one thing, I want to serve God and I love Him. That's the only thing I hang on to. I have no idea how to provide for my family. I have no idea where to live. I have no idea everything. But I know one thing, I want to serve Him. 20 some years later, I'm here. Is it a fun ride? Absolutely. Is it a scary ride? Absolutely. Is it a nightmare sometimes? Absolutely. That I on my knees every single day? Absolutely. But will I do it again? Yes, and yes, and yes. Seen too much miracle. Seen too much thing God worked through my life. Seen too much things that God allowed me to see. It has been a fun ride. Because I take that risk but nobody has taken that risk before. And that's why it impacted my life so much till today. And that's why this scripture that Jesus prayed to be sent to the world but not in the world is so dear to me. So in Acts chapter 17, if you turn with me there, I'm going to read, that's a, that will be on the board, I'm going to read from 
uh, the English Standard Version compared to the NLT that you have on your pew because there's certain words, a uh, portion of Scripture that I want to emphasize. Now, when they passed through Amiphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three day, Sabbath day, he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined with Paul and Silas as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rebel, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, This man, who have turned the world upside down, had come here also. And Jason had received them, and they all are all acting again the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I want you to see the words on verse chapter 6, on the second part. This man who have turned the world upside down had come here also. Man, that is... Man, if anything that people will say about you is you are people, a woman and a man who turned the world upside down for Jesus. How many of you heard of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards, who wrote the popular book, Sinner as, as the Hand of the Angry Gods. It used to be a literature book for secular college. Every secular college in literature... Major, have to study Jonathan Edwards' book, Sinner in the Hand of an Angry God, but as a mockery, not as a positive way. Because their view is how can this angry guy destroy people? Jonathan Edwards, who preached in the beginning only a small group, but later on 300 people saved and about 1,000 of cities and towns revival because of his message. And this is what amazing if you study about Jonathan Edwards is this. Jonathan Edwards, I think he's the president of Princeton University. Was well, that Princeton College? Do you know that the first 100 university in America started because of one mission is to send men and women to the mission field? Every Ivy League school, you go to Harvard. There's a model. And the truth will shut you free. They take the first part out. It was dedicated to send men and women to the mission field. In the beginning of the, beginning of the founding of every university, 50% of student population go to mission field. Jonathan Edwards, the legacy that he left behind. Out of his great children, grand-grandchildren, one become U.S. vice president, Three become U.S. senator. Three become governor. Three become mayors. Thirteen become college president. Thirty become judges. Sixty-five professor. Eighty public office holder. Hundred lawyers and hundred missionaries. One person turned the world upside down. George Wilfield. If you know about George Wilfield, we're doing John and Charles Wesley. Nine hundred colonists heard his preaching. Charles Finney, if you go to New England, one of the things I think I would, I told my wife, one of the things, if I were, you know, you have a bucket list, bucket list, one of the bucket lists I think I would do is to trace the, the, the steps of Charles Finney in New England, how the revival came. In Rochester, 100,000 received Jesus Christ. In his ministry, 500,000 received Christ. They did a study on Charles Finney. 80% of his converts convert stick with God. Finney, revival. If you study Finney's book of revival sermons, man, just break your heart. D.L. Moody, Chicago. Wales revival, Billy Sunday. I mean, this is all men that turned the world upside down. So this morning, 
I have a word for this church. God gave me a scripture for this for a long time, but I have not found the right time to say. If you turn with me to Joshua chapter 14, and I want to tie this thing together. Joshua 14 is Joshua and Caleb. If you're in Sunday school, you know Joshua and Caleb's story. Right, Joshua and Caleb? They go, send it to, the, to spy on the land. Twelve of them were sent to spy on the land. And then they all came back. Only Joshua and Caleb gave the positive report. The rest of the ten gave negative report. You know, this is how human is. This is how you see things. Some see half full glass or half empty glass. It's how you see your perspective. And I believe that we live with so many negative, negative news. You know, every time you turn newspaper, it's all negative. The only time you see anything positive is in the Word, in the Scripture. We need to be, to, be, to, be, to be encouraged and to be encourager. And so Joshua and Caleb came back with positive news. While the 12 see giants, the 10 see giants, Joshua and Caleb see promises. Wow, we should go in and conquer the land. What the ten said is impossible. There are too many giants, too many obstacles. How is it? So Joshua chapter 14, begin at verse 6. A delegation from the tribe of Judah. This is where Joshua, this is where Moses had passed away. And Joshua take upon the mantle to lead the children into the promise. I, I have one scripture that I say, if you want, I told my disciples group, I say this. This is a scripture that seldom any pastor, any leadership conference they ever, they ever quote. Joshua 1.8. About success. If you ask someone in, leaders, in leadership or anything conference, how to be successful, they give you 10 things. First, you need to have priority. First, you got to list. But Joshua 1.8 just give you God's Definition of success. What is it? It's not in the thing. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And he said what? So that you will be prosperous and successful. The word of God made you prosperous and successful. So when you meditate on the word, the word in you, it will make you prosperous and successful. So, verse 6, a delegation, Joshua 14, from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh and Kenazet, came to Joshua of Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old. This is what Caleb saying. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. Let me stop here. One of the scary things. It is okay if you do not enter your promised land. But there's another thing if you stop other people to enter into their promised land. Some of you become the 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 web or the instrument enemy that stopped the people to go to the promised land. So he said that, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan of which you were just walking will be your your grant of land and that of your descendant forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. Now understand this. By the time Joshua and Caleb went to spy, they were 40 years old. And now it's 45 years later and Caleb stands before Joshua and, and they have this conversation. And so what Caleb said in verse 10, Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as He promised for all these 40 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. 
I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on a journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. I want to give you a word this morning, Central. I don't care how old you are. God has promised for you. And you need to go as Caleb could to Joshua. You need to go as you go to God today. God, you promised to me. And I am as strong as I used to be when 20 years old when you promised something. And I want that hill that you promised to me. Give me that hill. You know, there's so many promises in the Word of God that we don't claim it. A lot of promises here. Every one of them is yes and amen. God said, claim. how many of us claim the word? You need to go to God. God, I just claim, give me that hill that you promised. Sometimes we retire, we retrieve. We say, oh, I, I, and I've been walking with God for 30, 40 years. I think it's about time for young people to do their thing. I think like the young people, man, that, that's their time. That's their season. I'm, uh, I'm resting. I, I, I did my Sunday school. I did my childcare. I did my nursery. Uh, I did my youth. I served everywhere. I, I think it's about time for the youth. No, baloney. Don't ever have that mindset. The moment you have the mindset, you go downhill from there. Because your fire and passion of God no longer there. If the fire of God is there, it doesn't matter. You will be like Caleb of 85. I'm still strong when I was 40 years old. And I'm going to conquer that land. I don't care how many enemies are there, I'm going to conquer that land. You want to turn the world upside down? You no longer retrieve. You march on. You press on. You say, God, as long as the hill is still there and it's promised for me, as nobody taking it, I'm going to take that hill because you have given to me. I'm telling you, if you have a family member in your family, whether your children's spouse that's not walking with God, I don't want you to resign, but I will say, God, it is not right. You promised the whole household will serve you. And I'm going to take back that land. That you promise, regardless how long it takes. Regardless what circumstances you are in, you say, I'm going to go. You know, remember I told you I read this book, Hillbilly, Ages? It's a very interesting book. One thing I get from it, really, really, when I, when I read the book, and then after I came back, I listened to one, the talk, TED Talk, or one person. It's amazing how it, it lined up together. I recognize one thing. And part of, the, part of the Acts chapter 17, the scripture, how to turn the world upside down. He said one thing. I don't believe he's... He, he, might, he might believe in God, but I don't think he, he walked with God. And he has uncle. And everybody have a charismatic uncle. Everybody, I don't know why. They have like, I got this charismatic uncle, you know, who's, whoa, out there. There's something I learned because I spent 20 some years in college ministry and I, you know, it's like reaffirmed again and again. He said this the Christianity today, the church today, the one thing that we don't do well, one thing we are wrong, facing the worldview, the culture, and he said everything that we say, whether it's homosexuality, uh, adultery, whatever, I mean, all these negative things. One thing we don't do well, we do not know how to engage the culture. We scream at them, we shout at them, but we do not know how to engage the culture. I mean, the whole person, I said, that's it. That is the answer. We do not know how to engage the truth or word of God with them. When I read that, and I listened even this week to the text, I said, that's so true. We do not know how to engage. Either we shy away from it, 
or we go after it and say, I don't care what you hear, I'm going to press on and push my, my thought, my, 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 my perceptive, and I don't care what you think. That's not engaging. I mean, I did my wrong in raising my children. Because, you know, when you learn, when you get older, you still, I mean, I still have kids, you still, I'm still. If you ask them, they will list out like 400 things that I will do wrong. But I learned one thing that even as a parent, I need to know how to engage with my children. You know, I always tell, do this, don't do that. Do, do, do this, don't do that. I don't tell. It's like, man, I need to know how to engage. Engaging means what? That you have a conversation. Now, acceptance does not mean approval. Look at this. When I engage, I accept your viewpoint. I accept where you come from, but doesn't mean I approve it. Some people think acceptance equals approval. No. Now I understand where you come from. I understand your perspective. But does not that line up with my perspective, my viewpoint? I can still accept where you're from, but doesn't mean I approve. And I said, that's so true. We live in a culture in the Christian world, that we do not know how to engage anyone. We don't know how to sit down, the old and the young son sit down and have a conversation, a dialogue. Why do you think that way? If someone confront you with issue, situation that does not line up with the Word of God, then you need to find out how, what, what make them think, what make them tick, what make them come to that conclusion. Not everyone the same, but we don't engage. You know why I don't know? We, I, I agree now why we don't engage? Because we don't value relationship. You know what relationship, define relationship? Time. We don't have time. We need, it's about time for us to sit down and engage. You know, understand, when you read Acts chapter 17, one of the first two verses, it said Paul, he said he came to the temple and he reasoned with them. Reason. He did not shout, he reasoned. He said, okay, let's talk about this. You worship a lot of gods. I see that. He's talk about, I see there's a lot of idols built up, a lot of altars. So let me present you this God that I worship, this God that came and died for you. Let's talk about that. Let's reason about it. You know, it's so true. I went in college ministry. After all this, I said, man, that is the thing. Because they will come in with different worldviews. They come in from different classes. Parents and teacher and professor and friends and, and Instagram and Facebook. I mean, all this influence. And I said, let's talk about this. Let's see where you come from. And then what you do is that you begin to lead them to the truth. Reason means you begin to, reason means you're tearing down every imagination, the Bible said. Any worldview that's against God. That's what reasoning means. You do a reason. I did a, I did a thesis on, 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 on apologetic in my graduate degree. One of the books that we have to read is called um, uh, Columbus, Colum uh, well, Columbus, no, Colombo, Colombo. You know the the movie, the TV show, Colombo. Have you seen the movie? Wait, wait, wait. This is the younger one. Will be doesn't know what. So what's Colombo? Man, that is so old. Yeah, I'm old. I'm that old. That's Colombo, and Peter Falk. Is at the, and he's the, he's the detective inspector. So every time he will, in the case, he will ask questions. That's all he does. He asks questions kind of thing. We must learn to ask questions. Sometimes we want the right answer, but we forget to ask the questions. You must ask a question. That's how you engage. That's how you reason. You begin to eliminate, begin to deduce. 
and you begin to reason people, this is why your thought is futile, why your thought is not lined up with things. Right? And that's what said, wow, I never saw that way. So Caleb said, give me that land. So what I'm trying to say is, if you, don't want, if you want to turn the world upside down, you need to turn your world upside down first. Is your world upside down? Is your view of God is right? Is your walk with God is right? When people see you, they you see something different in you? When they talk to you, do they feel they want to know God more or they want to reject God more? How's your life? Let me ask this question. How's your life? I don't know about you. I don't know whether you become Christian because it's a good fun thing that you're, going to, you're not going to hell or it's a club house that you meet people. I don't know about you. Because I, to me, when I become Christian, is this is it. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. It's going to change. Something has to change. And it began with me. Before I see someone else change, then I have to change. Before I want to see my wife, my children change, my family change, I have to change. I need to turn my world upside down first. I know what you do every single week. I know what you do every single Sunday. In my mind, I always consume God. Is there anything in my life that needs to change? Is there anything in my life that needs to turn upside down? Because it's easy when you walk with God, especially as a pastor, you think you have all together. You think you have all the answer. You think they have walked rightly before God. It's a dangerous thing to assume that. Then you have to turn before God. Say, God, is there anything in my life that have not turned upside down yet? Because I want to stay fresh with God. Because I want to stay in tune with Him. Because I want to learn His word. Because at the end of the days, I want Him to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know how you go on in life every day or every week. Or you come to church. To me, when I come to church, I come to reason so I can gather with all bunch of my, all of us who love God and worship Him, use the gifting, the talent God to Him to feel the presence of God and then to go out to turn the world upside down. Yeah. But I want to come here so that my world will turn upside down so I can go and turn the world upside down. I, I did a survey this week. I did a lot of survey. Every pastor sends survey. I don't know why. We have so many things to survey. So there are PhD students send survey because they do their dissertation. They want a survey, Christian survey. One of the survey is interesting. This week's survey, he asked, he said, where is the church is going? This PhD guy doing his dissertation, he wanted to survey where the church is going. Is the church become smaller? Is the church more bivocational pastor in all this survey? I believe, I believe this, my whole heart. In the last day, Hebrew 10, 24, 25 said this, do not forsake of gathering together as the day approaching. I want to tell you this, one of these days is no longer optional, but it's a mandatory that we need to get together. I believe that in the book of Acts, why they turn the world upside down? Because people see those who call themselves Christian, believers, disciples, they meet every day to break breaks, to grow, and they see the kononia, the love, the fellowship they have, and they say, we want that. That's what happened. There's something when you come together. There's a synergy when you come together. There's no longer a Lone Ranger Christian in the last day. So I encourage you. I want you to drag your children to church every day. Some of don't like it. No. This is the most safest way for them to learn about God, to grow in God, to serve God. I learned one thing when I, I parenting. 
I told, I told my discipleship class, I said, when I, when, I, when I was early in marriages, I never thought about parenting class before. I never thought about parenting class. I'm a pastor, I never thought parenting class because I said my kids is young. Because I have not gone through the test and trial yet. I have not gone through the teenage year yet. So now I don't have that revelation. So once I get through the teenage year, when they go older, then I can tell the revelation. And it's not easy. But I learned one thing about this. You do not isolate your children. Some parents isolate the children. Don't isolate your children. You know what you do with your children? Insulate them. Don't isolate, insulate. Meaning what? Pour God in them. Then when they stand before the world, they can turn the world upside down. So the world has no effect on them. But they have effect on the world. Don't isolate them. Insulate them with the Word of God. Insulate them with things of God so that they will go out there fearless. Careless what their friends will say will not influence by their mindset, their thought, but will stay true with God. So let me close with D.L. Moody said this. Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. A sheep lives in the water, but if the water gets into the sheep, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. Dear Moody said this. Let me have one more quote by Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi is the father of India. Who's not even a believer. He's not a believer. He said, You Christian, look after a document, talking about the Bible, containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces, turn the world upside down, and bring peace to a battle torn planet. But you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature from an unsafe guy, Hindu background. He said that you treat the Word of God like a literature. If you were to treat it as the Word of God, you would turn the world upside down. It is said that the Hindu have more revelation than Christian. I know we are living. If you read the news every day, I read the news every single day. The reason I need to read the news is because I, know, I want to know where, what is God saying at this hour. Because you and I know that God coming back soon. You and I know we're not living in a pretty world. And the only hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's about time we as a Christian who call ourselves Christian no longer interested in the things of this world, but the things of God, and go out there and turn the world upside down and give them the hope that they don't have. Give them the answer they're looking for. And say, there is hope, there is answer in Jesus Christ. And He come 2,000 years ago. That's who we are. Let's pray. Lord, I pray even this morning, including myself, I ask you, Jesus Christ, more than anything else, that you will turn our world upside down. In our life, that if anything in us that has not been purified, circumcised, that has not been looked after, evaluated, transparent, has not broken, that we ask you this morning, God, will you reveal to us what our behavior, attitude, speech, conduct that does not line up with the things of you in your, according to your scripture, we ask you to show to us, to expose it. And so when we walk out there to the place that you sent us to, that we walk with confidence and boldness, we walk in peace, in assurance that your presence, your Holy Spirit is with us. 
as there's no one can blame or put something wrong in us. Because you said the man who walked uprightly before you, you will honour it. So I pray even this morning, including myself, God, I just pray, Jesus Christ, don't let me go another day, become stale and dull and dead and boring. God, every day that you present a challenge before me, so I will stay fresh, I will stay on fire, I will stay pure and I will stay holy and I will stay in your perfect will and your, your, your vision and the mission given to me. And I pray each one of us in this place that if the mountain, the hill that you have promised that we have not conquered and claim it, I pray even this morning that you will remind them back of the dream, the prophecy and the word that given to them. And they will walk by faith to claim that he, like Caleb did, said, I will take that land, give the land to me. Give that mountain, the heal, the promise that you have for me. So I pray this morning, God. Tomorrow will not be the same. Tomorrow they will go out with victoriously. Tomorrow they will go out with a sense of God, your hands is upon them. Tomorrow they will go out with a sense that you're going to do something different in their personal life, in their family, their friends, their relatives, and their workplace, wherever they go. So I pray even today that you will challenge them, God. You remind them. God, we want to be like Joshua and Caleb to serve you for the rest of our life and never back down or retrieve. As long as we have breath, as long as we can walk, as long as we can do something, God, I pray that you will use us in this last day. God, I pray you set us ablaze on fire like you did with Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday. God, you will set us to be the man or woman they care less about the things of this world and consume more the things of God. There will be, like the book of Acts said, this man turned the world upside down. So I pray even this morning, God, that your will be done, your kingdom come. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.